a doctor in the house. Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case of loving you. Doctor. 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 And doctor. It's time for Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Rashid Batar. I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. I'm a doctor, not a coal miner. The doctor is in. You know, I don't normally get many complaints here on Robert Scott Bell Show, particularly when we do advanced medicine with Dr. Batar. But you know how it is when they make you wait in the waiting room for like 24 hours? Dr. Batar, where have you been? You know, that's why we call doctors, when we refer to their practice in medicine, we say it's practicing medicine, and that's why we have to call our patients patient because they have to be patient with us because <laughs> yeah. we're too busy practicing. Dude, you were testing my patients. 24 hours later, it's Advanced Medicine Tuesday. Dr. Batar is back from Canada. He did not get kidnapped by a Royal Canadian Mountie like I figured he would, <laughs> and we're glad to have you back on board. Well, we just had a very long trip coming back, so, you know, you leave at uh, our flight was actually at 8 o'clock in the morning, which meant that we had to be there since it's international flight at 6, which meant and it was an hour drive there. So anyway, it, it was a long, long day. We didn't get until like 9.20 last night. 9.20, and I heard you were well-received. I'm, I'm always curious when you do these events, you know, each audience is different. It has its own kind of energy or vibe about it. How is the Western Canadian audience? You spoke there before, but now this one was focused around you and your presentation. Uh, did you find that the audience drew different things out of you this time? Well, you know, it's interesting that they had two breaks scheduled in the morning and two breaks scheduled in the afternoon plus lunch, which is pretty standard. But I had made a comment not only to the MC but also to the person who put on the event that, you know, that's just too many breaks. By the time you get the momentum going, people have to uh, get up, leave, they take a break, they come back, and, that, you know, it takes time to get all that going. And mm-hmm. they told me, no, no, people need breaks, they lose their focus, you know, attention span, this, that, the other by the second half of the day, when they announced the second break, you should have seen the response. Actually, the first break, you should yeah. have seen the response of the audience. There were people that were just disgusted, like, just stop with the breaks, you know, let the man speak, you know, <laughs> just, and so they canceled the break. I mean, this, we just stood up and stretched. And they told me as a, on the debriefing on Sunday, when we kind of talked about how the event went, they said, mm-hmm. you know, next time we're just not, we're just going to give one break in the afternoon and one break in the morning. And the people just didn't want it. People were upset. They they actually had complaints. They said, why are you guys having so many breaks? That's usually the opposite of what you get. God, dude, the guy was going so long, we needed a rest. But not yeah. not Dr. Batari. He was on fire up there. Well, that's good. Again, the reception was great. Uh, in terms of the information delivered, of course, it's not that you modify your information based on, well, I change what I do. You don't. You do the similar protocols based on the needs there. But uh, what was it as far as a focal point? in the discussion was it mostly on metal detoxification and vaccines or did you get to a different aspect of toxic you know where people are being intoxicated up there in canada well it was all revolving around recovery from brain injuries whether it be autism whether it be stroke whether it be closed hand injuries and we talked about the shifting of the mindset first of all to believe that it is actually possible mm-hmm. um, and that's w- what was done in the beginning I actually showed footage video footage that has never been shown before I showed a compilation of what happened with my father and with his stroke and where he was uh, as of the 9th of December was the last video that we showed which shows him walking out of my brother's house uh, going to the clinic for treatment 
which, um, you know, he's now even doing better. This entire weekend, he was not in the wheelchair at all. He just walked around the house. The physical therapist told him not to walk. Now, I don't have that in video footage. Of course, I was in Canada at the time, so I didn't see it myself. But that's what happened this weekend. And then I also showed video footage of... Desiree Jennings, that's never been shown before. Oh, you know, a, for our new listeners, we need to really uh, revisit that because a long-time listeners to us, I mean, years before we got together to do our advanced medicine shows uh, here on, on Natural News Radio and GCN, I'd have you on as a guest from time to time. And, of course, when the Desiree Jennings story broke, this was a Washington Redskins professional cheerleader, football cheerleader, and she had gotten a flu shot and had some form of neurological, you know, the media was awash with certain terms that were necessarily accurate, but she had come to see you, and there was a dramatic reversal, and then there were doctors and experts saying, oh, no, that wasn't even a real diagnosis. Well, the gist of this was what you just said, Robert, except that she had been seen by a number of leading hospitals, including Yale University was one of them, and uh, four different hospitals. And the interesting thing was they were all basically gave her the same diagnosis that this was dystonia. There was nothing that could be done about it. It would just progressively worsen. And then she was referred to us by Jenny McCarthy. She had a viral encephalopathy, an acute viral encephalopathy with mercury toxicity, an acute mercury toxicity. And, um, you know, she was having about 60 seizures a day when she got to us. She was having apneic episodes. And within about three days, we were able to stabilize her, and she was able to start speaking. And over the next few weeks, she progressively got better. And then, of course, all the people that had said, the hospitals that had said that this was not, there couldn't be nothing done, instead of trying to see what we did and how we did it and why she got better, they couldn't afford to be wrong. So the only solution for them was to denigrate what we had done by saying that there was no scientific component to what we had done. There was nothing that we'd done, and she was actually originally faking it. That's interesting when 2020 did their show that's what they were trying to say they referred to me as a controversial doctor about 187 times in that <laughs> yes. in that segment but you know then you've got the uh, husband saying well i don't know all i know is my wife is 95 percent better than she was you know two months ago and the bottom line is really that instead of trying to understand something that they didn't understand they just decided to say she was faking it the video footage that i showed this weekend it was very short but it conclusively proves, uh, without any shadow of a doubt, and anybody who would argue with this is absolutely arguing that night is black and day is not. It's, uh, in fact, with a neurophysiologist that is standing behind the patient with an electroencephalogram, a live electroencephalogram running. Patient can't see it, and she's talking about what you see on the electroencephalogram, and she says the argument that you'll get from neurologists is that this is artifact because it's no possible way that a person with this type of brain activity could be sitting here. She's just not sick enough. Right. She should be, you know, like comatose. She can't be functional. And yet she was sitting there, and she was having a seizure, and she said, but this is clearly not artifact, and then she explains why. And so this is not me speaking. I don't know how to read electroencephalograms. This is an, a, a Ph.D., mm-hmm neurophysiologist who understands these tests up and down and conclusively said that, that you can't this person this can't one. be faking that what what she said is going on is that she is actually far more sicker than she looks physically and her brain activity proves it the electroencephalogram proves that she's actually far sicker than anybody would expect 
the way she looks. Well, the visuals in the news media at that time sort of played into this idea that she was faking it because, you know, the average person, much less the doctor, doesn't encounter something like this every day. You see, for instance, she she couldn't, what was it? She couldn't walk normally. It was like a, a strange walk. And then when she could walk backwards normally. And when, you know, when you, when you see a person like that, you're like, that's got to be phony. I've never seen anything like that. So it, it kind of played into the hands of the doctors who accused her of just faking it because people had never really seen anything like this. Well, the things were uh, when she would run, she would feel better and she actually wouldn't have any of the problems. She could actually start talking when she mm-hmm. would run. Mm-hmm. But as soon as she slowed down and started walking, that's when she would start having the problems not only just walking, but also talking. And a lot of that has to do with perfusion mm-hmm. because as the heart starts to pump harder, then the blood is circulating faster and she's just getting more oxygen and nutrients to the brain and she's pumping, the heart's pumping faster so the waste is being excreted. And so there was actually a very logical physiological explanation for her ability to be able to run and increase her Mm-hmm. Um, or improve her ability to communicate and such. And there were certain things that were strange. But again, you know, when I tell parents that they, when they bring their children with autism and we start treating them, I tell them that if your child sprouts two tails and one horn mm-hmm. as we start treatment, it's normal because the body is trying to compensate for this injury. And what we're doing is we're dealing with a situation of abnormal physio- physiological responses due to the fact that the body's trying to get rid of something that shouldn't be there. So it's, it's actually that mobilization aspect that causes an, uh, hyper, um, responsiveness in the system to this assault, which is now the body's trying to excrete or clear out. But as it's clearing out, it's got to go through the same tunnel. It's got to be actually pulled out of the lung parenchyma in the case of cadmium or out of the bone in the case of lead or out of the neural tissue in the cardiac tissue in the case of mercury. It's got to be pulled out but and before it goes out of the body from the organ where it's affecting the system to getting out of the body, it's got to transit through the body. And that transit through the body, that mobilization, that Herxheimer's response, I mean, you can have any type of manifestation of symptom in mm-hmm. that period. Yeah, that's a, that's an important thing to understand. But as we know, much of the medical community is not, you know, what what was it that they said about glutathione? It's not relevant in some way. You know, the, these yeah. concepts in medicine, as as smart as people perceive these docs to be, they are simply not trained in certain arenas, or they're trained so rapidly as if to say, yeah, look at that, but don't pay any attention and move on by it as if they're in a museum. Yeah, that's true. That's true. It's uh, I, I brought this up a number of times. The mentality of the conventional medical wisdom is every time I observe fires, I observe the presence of fire engines. Therefore, I conclude that fire engines cause fires. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's it's a uh, you're trying to explain something that you don't understand. And you say, well, this is what we see visibly, but it may not be in fact the cause, but the body's attempts to correct as it is with these symptoms. So fascinating. Again, coming back to the, the history of uh, Desiree Jennings, all you have to do is search Desiree Jennings, Robert Scott Bell, Dr. Rasha Bittar. You'll see videos pop up and audio uh, segments pop up from many years ago when we covered this story. So the fact of the matter is video evidence now showing the uh, encephalogram, as you called it, right, for the brain activity, uh, firing to, to really, uh, let's say, validate the fact that she was not and could not be faking it. So when we come back from this break, we'll continue with a special edition of Advanced Medicine on Tuesday here with Dr. Rasha Bittar. So stick around. The Robert Scott Bell Show. 
in the health world through the power of radio. It's the Robert Scott Bell Show. Continuing now with Dr. Rasha Bittar. I know it's a special day. It's holiday season, so we flex with him. And he's back from Canada. We were just talking about the event up there in Vancouver where we're talking about brain recovery and his protocols. Of course, as you heard, his dad is doing much better. Each and every week we, we get a great, positive, powerful update. Uh, going back in time to the Desiree Jennings story is well fascinating. Just want to remind new listeners, uh, if you haven't picked up much of uh, Dr. Batar's perspectives, the international best-selling book, The Nine Steps to Keep the Doctor Away, still available, and we have it linked up in the show notes each and every week here at robertscottbell.com. The number, if you want to call us 24-7, leave a message, and we can take uh, questions on the air, off the air, 866-939-BELL, 866-939-2355. Now, Dr. Batar, uh, you know, the first meeting you had up there in Vancouver, remember we had some difficulty communicating with some of these doctors who were resisting. And then by the end of the, even the, the, the preliminary or first time you were there, uh, you had them intrigued, to say the least. Did you have any of those kind of docs there, or by now they were well-worn and ready to go with you where you needed to go? Well, Robert, because of the weather situation over there and due to the proximity to Christmas, mm-hmm. the attendance wasn't as great as we had uh, expected. So there was around 400 uh, people there instead of the 1,000 that were expected. There were a lot more tickets that had been sold, but people just weren't able to come because there was a lot of surrounding area people that were going to come, and due to the weather, they weren't able to. But we didn't have as many doctors as we did last time. I mean, last time there was almost 100. Uh, This time there was only three people that admitted that they were physicians that raised their hand. And um, the response from the physicians didn't say much as far as while they were in the audience. And I, during the break, I had one that came to me, a pediatrician, who said that she wanted to start working with us in any capacity, was very enthusiastic, was actually very adamant about, you know, trying to get together, wanted to meet with me the following day, wanted to meet with me Monday. I told her, you know, I was, I was too busy. We already had things that had been scheduled and, you know, learning too early Monday. So that was one positive. And then there was another physician who talked to the gentleman who put the conference on Mm -hmm. and he actually did ask a question from the audience while I was on stage and it was a very good question but afterwards the feedback I got from the person who from the host was that he told him uh, how much he appreciated the fact that he put the conference on and touched him on the head and blessed him Mm. wow interesting for a healthcare provider I think he may have been a naturopath he may not have been a uh, a medical doctor i'm not sure but regardless whichever capacity whichever you know type of doctor he was the point is for somebody to bless somebody uh for for doing something like that i mean that's a, that guy was very spiritually advanced let's put it that way yeah well listen we've said it many times over the years together on the air where did medicine go wrong it went it went wrong when it abandoned spirit quite honestly i mean and that's a kind of a strange thing for some people to hear because they think oh it's all about the physical sciences but when it's divorced from spirit there's no life yeah that's true that's very true so uh, I'm glad to hear about that now there is news coming out of the european union you've traveled over to austria and I, I think uh, in, other, in other areas of Europe as well. It's interesting that the EU now and some of their so-called regulatory agencies are finally getting wind of the potential health risk from insecticides. <laughs> so, hello? Are you there? Anybody? Yeah, it's kind of a strange, kind of a strange uh, situation. Like you call it, what, moments of duh? Yes, exactly. 
This this story coming out of the European Union is warning on the potential health risk of a, of a particular insecticide, one made by Bayer, B-A-Y-E-R, that makes Bayer aspirin. Of course, these are what I call the demon spawn of IG Farb in World War II Nazi Germany, continuing to poison the world with their uh, drugs and their insecticides designed to kill life, not, not promote life. And so they're recognizing the danger to the brain. Yeah, I like the heading, you know, EU issues warning on potential health risk from insecticides. Okay, so tell us something that we don't know and haven't known for 20 years. Yeah, well, exactly. But here we have uh, an area of the world that is much closer connected to food than we do when we are in America, where we've kind of abandoned it over the last 100 years with this idea of technology will save us. Nobody has to farm anymore. And yet they're slow as well to figure it out in Europe about the products that are being even made there. These are very dangerous neurotoxins. They're called the neonicotinoids, which have recently been in the spotlight, according to them, due to a plunging population of bees, which is another issue for food production. Yeah, actually, and that's a very important component because as a bee population decreases in four out of the five continents, the issue of pollination of our food supply is a critical component. The, the, the food can't grow because right. the bees are essential for the pollination aspect of the... All right. Well, when we come back, we'll talk about will there be food enough for all of us based on the pesticide use and what to do to detoxify from it with Dr. Batar after this. The Robert Scott Bell in the health world through the power of radio. It's the Robert Scott Bell Show. We're talking about the pesticides in not only Europe, but here in the United States and uh, this love affair uh, with chemicals. Uh, it's just devastating. Devastating. Now, you talk about brain recovery, as we, we've covered for so many years. You talked also about, in your book, The Nine Steps to Keep the Doctor Away, these so-called persistent organic pollutants. I would have to say that that would include the pesticides we just mentioned. Absolutely. So what do we do, different or the same, that we address, for instance, heavy metals to bind out these pesticide residues to get them out of the body? Well, the pesticides fall into that, as you said, persistent organic pollutant category because of their chemical composition being such that the body can't naturally clear them, or most of them the body can't clear. So the phase one and phase two of the liver to upregulate that is essential, and that's a difficult thing to do sometimes uh, because the reason that these substances are referred to as persistent because they're molecular structure does not allow the body to break them down and that's why we refer to them as persistent because they persist in the system so the modalities of treatment have to be oriented around breaking these chemicals further down to smaller sub-segments so that the body can clear them there are a number of things that can be done we use the ozone autohemotherapy that's well described in the literature especially in the German literature and now is being researched at Baylor and at Mayo for its ability to help in various types of conditions, but specifically the reason we're using it is to break down these various chemicals. That's one component. Of course, we've talked about the other aspects of oxidative therapies because the opportunistics can't produce catalysts and peroxidase and that whole uh, discussion, which I won't get into now, but we've talked about that in past segments, so anybody that's interested can go back and listen to one of those shows, but the 
persistent organic pollutant component, that's one component, the autohemotherapy, the ozone autohemotherapy. The other component that pretty much anybody can try to utilize to facilitate some of these chemicals out of the body is infrared sauna, not regular uh, high-temperature sauna, but the, the not the dry saunas, but the infrared low-level mm-hmm. Temperature, which I said, when I said low level, I mean 130, 140, 150 degree temperatures. But the infrared or the near red saunas are great at helping to get some of these persistent pollutants out of the system. Mm-hmm. And then we use other types of intravenous as well as uh, oral components to protocols to help people clear some of these things. And most of them are actually homeopathic based, Robert. Yeah, I love that. You know that. And you know, the thing about my recovery, Dr. Batar, as well, from all the pesticide exposures I had, homeopathy played a critical role. And people say, well, that's not strong enough. It's like, it's an adjunct. It's not that you ignore the minerals and the things we need to do, but it has that plus factor of working with the cellular metabolism to direct its action, to do more efficiently that which we wish it were doing already. But another thing you mentioned earlier about these persistent organic pollutants, particularly with breaking these chemicals down. Normally, if we have metabolic waste, the body has been designed since time immemorial to break metabolic waste, bind them, and excrete them. But these synthetic chemicals never before in existence that we know of in in the history of creation, suddenly the body goes, what the hell is this? I mean, we've got no tools to break it down, and you wonder, well, how is it going to get out then? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, some of these things they may not be strong enough for the desired effect, but then you can actually potentiate them, increase the dose. You can Mm -hmm. introduce them into the system in other ways. And, you know, we use a lot of intravenous and uh, intramuscular uh, homeopathic components in our practice and and with great effect. So Yeah, well, you direct its action specifically to areas in need, which is great. It's another option there that's viable. But as we talk about the breaking down into simpler forms for the body to bind and excrete or somehow with the far infrared bypassing to some degree liver and kidney by pulling it out through the skin, the fat-soluble tissues where the many of these persistent organic uh, pollutants end up stored until one day you develop cancer. Exactly, Robert. That's a great point because the issue of cancer is due to one of two reasons that, you know, the mainstream component always says, well, we don't know what the cause of cancer is. Well, of course, we know what the uh, cause of cancer is. It's one of two, usually both of the following. One, it's a significant, sometimes to a severe point of malnutrition at that very point where the cancer started. And the other is a severe toxicity, either chemical, metal, electromagnetic, energetic, whatever it is, it is a severe toxicity with a severe malnourishment component. Usually both. It can be one or the other, but I believe that it's usually a component of both that actually starts that initial cell that goes into a state of uncontrolled proliferation and a suppressed apoptotic cascade, and that is what initiates this whole oncogenic process. So it's great that you brought that up because that's exactly what it is. Yeah, well, exactly. So this is the concept that we bring to you each and every week here on the Robert Scabell Show with Dr. Batar. Also, as I said, with Dr. Batar, you know, whole hosts of videos on on how to detoxify all of these things available to you. The links are up in, in the show notes. Of course, if you ever miss a show, and there are now hundreds of hours available to you at medicalrewind.com to make it as simple as possible for you to access the information. Uh, but still, I encourage everybody that hasn't gotten a great Christmas gifts, believe me, they're wonderful. They'll keep on giving that healing. It's the, uh, the nine steps to keep the doctor away. Uh, so we've got this process of acknowledging these persistent organic pollutants in addition to the heavy metals that they each require some level of direct action or focus in, in terms of support of the body that can no longer 
respond, not that it ever was designed to, some of these things that have never before been in existence anywhere. So we want to help the body. We use homeopathy. We use minerals. Uh, Dr. Batari, you use different forms of chelation as well. We talked about the sweating it out through far-infrared technologies. Uh, other thoughts on, on this? Obviously, we want to eat cleaner, but uh, even if you eat 100% clean, it's not 100% clean because the environmental degradation is all around us. Yeah, it's very difficult to stay clean no matter how healthy a person lives. In fact, one of the most significant examples of this was uh, a doctor that came through our training program from Michigan who had one Mr. All-Natural Bodybuilding. He was an ESPN. He was in his mid-40s, had always lived an absolutely clean life, spiritually aligned, emotionally very integrated, just a great guy, and... um, had never eaten anything that wasn't organic in the last 20 some years, um, raised his own fruits, uh, his own vegetables in his own garden. Um, they were, they were just really, really, really lived a clean life mm-hmm. and ended up getting prostate cancer. And we traced it back eventually to his exposure to certain chemicals when he was younger. He grew up in the inner city of Chicago and we've covered this before, Robert, so I won't go into the details. But the point is that you cannot in the modern world. You cannot be anywhere on this planet and still abstain from becoming toxic because you most of that or half of it at least, if not more of it, is beyond your control. If you're breathing the air, yes. if you are drinking water and if you're eating food, no matter how clean it is, they are still residues being picked up in mm-hmm. your food supply and your water supply and especially what we're breathing. The combustion of fossil fuels is one of the highest sources of cadmium, lead, and mercury that we inhale, which is one of the most severe ways of becoming toxic. So you, you just can't abstain from it. You have to do certain things proactively, mm-hmm. just assuming that you're going to be toxic. When I have patients that come into my clinic, I tell them, it's not that there's anybody that's clean. Everybody is compromised. Everybody is toxic. The question is, how well are your natural pathways functioning to get rid of these things? Right. Genetic predispositions and such you know, will play a huge role in this. Biological individuality and genetic predisposition will play a huge role. But this role that we're talking about, it, 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 that's the variable. It's not whether or not you're toxic. Everybody's getting the same level of inundation with that toxicity. It's how well you can clear it. Yeah, exactly. One of the things that, you know, people would always ask me, because I always went right to the liver for so much, I said, you know, your liver's congested. He's like, well, how do you know? You didn't run a test. I said, well, are you breathing? <laughs> they were like, what? What? And it's like that basic point that we have to make, you know, assumption can be, you can make fun of people assuming things, of course, but there's some base level assumptions that are not even assumptions, they're givens now. And that is that we are all accumulating to varying degrees, depending, as we said, strengths, weaknesses, the, we can talk in terms of your body's constitution, we can talk in terms of uh, your genetic predisposition for excreting or non-excreting. However you term these things, they're similar in, in reality what we're trying to communicate. And the question is, how do we respond? Now, we want to individualize, but we also say from a broader perspective, there's not one person or animal on planet Earth that doesn't need an optimally functioning liver. Right. That's true. The liver is the oil filter of the body, and it must be functioning optimally if you want to even have a chance at having optimum health yeah yeah well or even or even uh even well you know, this uh, there's a discussion about the definition of health we mm-hmm. in modern society tend to think that you've got sickness and the absence of sickness is health whereas in fact the absence of sickness is not health absence of sickness is just the middle ground health is on the opposite extreme so let's say we don't aren't even talking about the functioning of the liver 
for being healthy, which is the opposite extreme, just to say lack of disease, to be in a situation where you are not suffering from a disease state, mm-hmm. from some type of pathology, you must have a functioning liver, that a well-functioning liver. Right, right. Well, in, in the medical profession, for, for the things that they do right, which are, are minimal relative to the things that they've done wrong over the last number of generations here, uh, there's a big story that GlaxoSmithKline, one of the big, big pharma companies out there, said, hey, we're, we're going to stop paying doctors to promote drugs. And I wanted to get your perspective on that because this is a big headline coming out. Yeah, um, <clears throat> it's interesting because of the headline, and sometimes, you know, headlines can be a little bit deceiving, but it's interesting when reviewing that story, doctors were supposed to have not been paid by the pharmaceutical companies. You see, I even have a hard time even saying that. I was about to say pharmaceutical cartel, and I had to hold myself. <laughs> it's okay, you can say it here. <laughs> so, yeah, they're not supposed to be, be paid by these pharmaceutical companies in the first place, and that was something that happened probably 10, 15 years ago where there was a lot of issues with continuing medical education and the incentives that doctors were given by these various companies. I don't think that they ever, well, at least since I became a doctor, I don't think they ever gave out checks as far as, you know, money, money that way, but mm-hmm. incentivized trips and golfing trips and sure. all sorts of different perks like that they would give. And so that came down, the CME, the ACCME, I should say, from the AMA came down on that and said that pharmaceutical companies can't do that. And it's a big thing. You know, it's one of those subjects that's always sensitive. But the implication from that headline is that the pharmaceutical companies over the last 10, 12 years have continued paying. So it's almost like they're admitting that they have been doing something wrong, which over the last 10, 12 years, they're not supposed to have been doing in the first place. So I find that interesting that they're saying, okay, we're not going to pay them anymore. Like you were not supposed to have been paying them for the last 10, 12 years. Well, it's kind of like the docs now going, well, we need to to start well, let's say, let's stop prescribing so many antibiotics when they're not re- supposed to be prescribed. It's like you're admitting you're this, that you were doing something wrong for decades, and now you're going to go, okay, well, now we'll stop. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's amazing. All right, well, we're going to take a break here. We've got one more segment with Advanced Medicine Special Edition Tuesday with Dr. Rasha Bataro. Live around the world, the Robert Scott Bell Show. Robert Scott Scott Bell Show. By now, you're comfortable with having Dr. Batar visit you on a Tuesday. Because we're here. It was the Royal Canadian Mounties. I said it. (laughs) Well, we're wrapping it up here. Dr. Batar, I wanted to ask you about this vitamin study. It sounds like another classic case of we don't want you taking anything that's not a drug, ironically. But the vitamin study that they say shows that vitamins are no good. The vitamins are made by BASF and Bayer, the very companies making the drugs. So what's going on here? Yeah, you know, I I couldn't even tell you. This is really a strange, uh, strange type of story. But there's, it's just you have to read the whole thing, but it's just riddled with all sorts of, you know, components that make you make you question what's going on here. Yeah, but they, they, like, cases closed. Nobody should look at this anymore. I mean, they're making some, some strange statements that have nothing to do with even science. But the, the talking head pundits from Brian Williams on down don't question these studies at all. Like, when we would look at these studies, we'd say, okay, what are they using? Oh, synthetic vitamin E. 
Well, we know synthetic vitamin E has already been shown not to have much benefit. In fact, have some detriment versus mixed tocopherols, whole food type supplements. Now, we've also covered the controversy with you, Dr. Batar, of how intravenous chelation utilizes synthetic amino acids. It's not truly uh, a food-grown supplement, but we're dealing with extraordinary circumstances and we're binding out the bad guys via this method. They're not talking about any of this. Exactly. And the, the use of something synthetic versus not synthetic Depending on what you're using it for, I don't have a problem with uh, using something synthetic. I'm looking for a specific outcome, and I want to see what is the mechanism for action of that substance. But a vitamin, by definition, is something that enhances pathways. And it's difficult to see how the pathways could be enhanced with something such as, you know, such as with the synthetic substance. Now, mm-hmm. why would chelator work? Why would a chelator that's synthetic work to enhance the pathways? Because it's actually going in and removing the toxic substances to allow the system to open up its pathways. So it's a totally different mechanism that we're looking at. But again, you know, I looked at that and I didn't even bother reviewing that article, mm-hmm. Robert, because it was just just from the first couple of lines and from the heading, it was preposterous. Well, it's, it's, it's propaganda. I mean, look at what they're saying. Uh, you know, these companies, Big Pharma makes things like Centrum. Which, if you look at the forms of supplementation in there, I mean, it's it's chalk and binders and this and synthetic this, synthetic that. It's like orally, you're not going to get much benefit, if any at all. In fact, it may be detrimental. So we would agree to say, if they discuss the origin and the use and the specific forms of these things, we could we could have a legitimate study. But for them to say, dismiss everything in a health food store, that's propaganda. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, Centrum is one of those supplements that's probably the worst supplement on the market <laughs> and most people that have taken centrum and you can ask them have you ever noticed after you go and use the bathroom and you look in the toilet bowl undigested pills and it's seen all the time because these vitamins have a disassociation constant that's so high even glacial acetic acid on these vitamins over the over a 48-hour period won't dissolve them. So regardless of what's in them, they just won't even dissolve. Right. you got to pour them in some kind of uh, uh, Coca-Cola or Pepsi-Cola to dissolve them. And you don't want to be drinking those things because they'll dissolve you. <laughs> exactly. So anyway, more perspective on these things. And I appreciate your insights as always, Dr. Batar. The uh, the excitement that we get getting together is is that we can not only counter the propaganda, but really empower folks with great information. And, and you know, the great stories. Sometimes we all we each of us encounter great difficulty in our life, particularly with the recent episode with your dad having a stroke. And fortunately, it becomes again, we've talked about both a teaching and a learning opportunity. Well, it does, and everything happens for a reason, Robert, so I don't argue with it. I always look at it for what is the silver lining, even though sometimes it's difficult to see that, but there's always something. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, silver lining, we're heading through the Christmas uh, break here coming up, and also we got the new year happening, another year under our belt, extraordinarily rapidly this has occurred. It's amazing to me. Do we have any other events on the calendar we should let everybody know about, or just give them a heads up for the new year and we'll let them know? Yeah, I think uh, heads up for the new year, we'll let them know because right now I don't even know what's exactly on the schedule. I know that the autism one's coming up in mid-May, and that's supposed to be a big one, and I think there's uh, another 
event in April that I'll be speaking at. Uh, it's going to be more for physicians, but mm-hmm. right now I couldn't tell you any more than that. Well, yeah, big heads up for Autism One. Dr. Batar is featured as am I. We're going to have a great time together up there. Super Don, our producer, he's going to be heading the road with the Health Freedom Express. Anybody wants to sponsor that and help him out, get from point A to point B to C. Ultimately, he'll arrive as well at Autism One in May in Chicago. So that is also the exciting news coming up. So we're out of time. Dr. Batar, what do we have left to tell everybody? You know it. That the power to heal is yours. Absolutely. The Robert Scott Bell Show. The Robert Scott Bell Show.